Hello, it's Wednesday, November the 3rd, and this is The Andrew Pearce Show, and it's coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up... We know interest rates are going up, so Money Mail is giving advice on shopping around and getting a fixed deal, perhaps for even five years. How engineering could help us in the battle against climate change. The unpleasant race row at Yorkshire Cricket Club. COP26, China. I'm speaking to a leading professor who says... Don't believe everything you read this week. He thinks China will compromise in the battle against climate change. But first, the huge row over the former cabinet minister lobbying firms and how the Commons has voted to overturn his suspension of 30 days. So the Prime Minister and Cabinet Ministers have backed a shake-up of the rules on the way MPs are investigated over their behaviour. This came amid moves to prevent the Conservative MP and former Cabinet Minister Owen Paterson being suspended from the Commons for 30 days. That was the verdict of the Commons Standards Committee after he was found to have abused his position to benefit two companies he was paid hundreds of thousands of pounds to lobby for. The Prime Minister said a right of appeal must be introduced for such cases as a matter of natural justice. I'm joined now by the Daily Mail's Deputy Political Editor, John Stevens. John, um, so, they talk, so, the, so the, the Prime Minister's view has prevailed, but the vote, 250 to 232, that suggests either a lot of Tory MPs stayed away, abstained, or some might even have voted against this. Yeah, hi, Andrew. I think a lot of Tory MPs are worried that this is going to really put the party in a bad light and just do not want to be associated with this vote at all. And the government's put a lot of pressure on their MPs, put three-line whip on this vote. Usually MPs would just nod this stuff through. Mm. But this time they've been very clear with their MPs that they don't want this to go through. Owen Paterson, um, according to the, the Standards Committee and the, and the Parliamentary Commissioner Catherine Stone, came to a clear conclusion that Owen Paterson broke the rules in its paid advocacy for these companies. Uh, why have Tory MPs gone out on a limb for him on this issue? Well, he's been very vocal on this, Owen Paterson, and said that he doesn't feel he's broken the rules. And I think there was a lot of sympathy for him because, as we know, his wife, uh, she died through suicide last year. And so I think that's led to a lot of MPs to look quite sympathetically. I mean, his claim is that there hasn't been a proper process, that he hasn't been able to go through an appeal. But if we look at how the process works, basically, the commissioner on standards, the Catherine Stone, who you mentioned, she investigates, prepares a file, says her recommendation, and then it goes to a committee which is made up of 14 people. Half of them are lay members, so they're members of the public, and half yeah. of them are MPs. And that group of 14 unanimously mm. voted through this report. So it has gone through several stages, and now it's gone through. We should have the stage where MPs should rubber stamp it, but they've decided not to in this case but i think it is really damaging for the government you've got labor obviously saying it's returned to tory sleeve and um, but the report was very clear that they felt that owen patterson had broken the rules 
And I think a lot of MPs are a bit mystified about why Boris Johnson is so willing to go out on a limb on this one. Yeah, and we don't know. So they want an appeal process, uh, but we haven't worked out, they haven't suggested in this amendment how that would work. So if it, so, this, 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 this verdict will still stand by this committee, but who would, who would MPs appeal to if they don't like the verdict of the, the Standards Committee? Well, that's the problem at the moment. No one's been quite clear what they're looking to propose. And, you know, as I've just explained, there's already several stages in the process. Do you already mm. do you need yet another committee shunted in? But between now and February, what they've agreed to do is set up another committee, which Ugh. have nine members, five mm. of them being Tories, to look at the system, look at how it operates, and then work out is there something differently that we should be doing. And she, what do we do? We think the speaker, uh, Sir Lindsay Hall's taken a view on this because um, there were reports that he was uneasy that he thought this might rep- damage the reputation of Parliament when a clear verdict has been found that an MP abused the rules. But now he's not. The, but the, the punishment has been deferred. Yeah, we've not heard from Lindsay Hall directly on what he thinks, but we've heard what he's told friends has reported earlier in the week, as you say, that he was very uncomfortable about this and just thought it's been damaging for the House of Commons. And we know what happened before with expenses. You know that more than anyone. Yes. You know, the, the, these rows, people, expenses didn't come from nowhere. People knew there was a problem here. People thought, ooh, this is something a bit dodgy going on. And then something happened for it to completely blow up. And I think a lot of people think that MPs haven't learned their lesson, that they are setting problems here for themselves for the months and years to come. I think they probably are. That's John Stevens, who's the Daily Mail's uh, deputy political editor. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. World leaders in Glasgow meeting for the fourth day of COP26. But of course, there's been one notable absence. The world's greatest emitter of greenhouse gases... China, or at least the Chinese leader. Joe Biden has criticised China's decision not to attend the COP26 summit as a big mistake after the world's largest polluter called for less ambitious climate change goals to keep warming to 2 degrees centigrade as opposed to the target of 1.5 degrees centigrade. I'm joined now by Kerry Brown, who's Professor of Chinese Studies and Director of the Lao China Institute at King's College London. Professor, to be fair to China, they have sent a delegation to the COP26. They have come up with a national plan. Uh, but, of course, the Chinese leader, who hasn't set foot outside of China since the pandemic and lockdown, conspicuous by his absence. Yeah, I mean, I think the interpretation of this as being a bit nefarious and some kind of Chinese attempt to, uh, you know, kind of scupper the whole thing is uh, not likely. I mean, China has strong reasons to do things about the environment, and it's absolutely aware of how critical this is for, you know, its own nation and for its own people. I think the reason why Xi Jinping is not in Glasgow is because he hasn't been anywhere in the last, I think, yeah. 20 months yeah. uh, because of the fact that he thinks the rest of the world has got, you know, the virus. And if he gets it, that's going to be a massive problem. Uh, it's just a very prosaic reason, no big geopolitical reason, I don't think. Yeah. And of course, he is going to contribute in a video. He's going to take part in a video link at some point. So that will be a much watched contribution. Yeah, it will. I mean, domestically, uh, China 
is making innovations and changes to how it's addressing climate change as it goes along, it is most likely that the targets it set itself now of, you know, kind of plateauing carbon emissions and then having carbon neutrality, uh, you know, between 2030 and 2060 respectively, I mean, these are going to have to be changed. And there's going to be domestic reasons why China would change them. And so, I mean, I, I think that it set out the, uh, you know, kind of measures and policies it has doesn't mean that they're set in stone. Uh, the impact of climate change on the Chinese environment is very dramatic and Chinese people are pushing all the time for the environment to be improved. So I think China will be quite activist on this issue. But does he have to worry about public opinion in the way, say, our prime minister, the, the American president, the French president have to worry about public opinion? I mean, I think it's different. He doesn't face an election, for sure. So it's not likely that he's going to be booted out after, you know, kind of a load of people vote against him. But he does have to worry about an emerging middle class who've got massive, uh, you know, kind of demands and who could really explode. And, you know, I mean, they're the key people. Uh, there may be five, six hundred million of these people, but they're really the source of growth. They're the source of, you know, the country's kind of future growth perspectives as it becomes more service orientated. And although it's pretty dramatic, yeah, I mean, it's unlikely that they're going to get, you know, kind of, it, it would have to be a pretty big thing for them to explode. Chinese history is full of pretty tumultuous revolutions. They do happen. And when they happen, everything is over for the political regime in power. It's not, you know, just one party changing to another. The stakes are very, very, very high. And in the short term, of course, China are going about it in a different way. They're going to actually maximise their carbon output in the run-up to 2030 at a time when Britain is trying to do the reverse. And then, after 2030, the reductions begin. Yeah, as I say, I mean, that's what they say today. They had flooding this year, which was serious. Uh, smogs appeared in cities. Uh, water quality is bad. Uh, you know, there's been kind of desertification. Uh, it is most likely that they will have to review this as other things happen uh, next year and the year after. I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the targets they've set at the moment are not going to address the issues they're facing. And as they get more extreme climate events, I think their policies will change. Now, a centralized system like this can change pretty radically, pretty quickly. So today's story is not tomorrow's story. Do you think they'll tell us? They'll say like they did, you know, when Xi Jinping spoke at the UN um, General Assembly earlier this year, uh, you know, not kind of building uh, coal-powered, um, coal-powered uh, you know, sort of plants abroad. You know, they'll make these announcements. Um, we probably won't know much about how those announcements are arrived at. Uh, we will probably not know much about anything before they then happen. But we do, we should expect surprises. And just finally, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a guessing game in a sense, Professor, but um, you, you know this country better than most. If there were to be changes, do you think it would be on the two degrees target or perhaps on bringing forward when they, they plan to start cutting from 2060, perhaps to join the global target from COP26 of 2050? Yeah, I mean, I think if there are extreme weather events, they will bring these targets. But they have to. I mean, from all the science and all the clues we've got so far, these targets are not going to be enough. It's pretty clear. They will, they will have to change. Very interesting. That's Kerry Brown, who's Professor of Chinese Studies and he's Director of the Lao China Institute at King's College London. Thanks for joining us. 
Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show full free and in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So can new technology help to slow or even reverse climate change? Experts at the Royal Academy of Engineering believe technology can hold the key to creating a more sustainable future from carbon neutral technologies to tackling plastic pollution. Dr. Rhys Morgan is the Director of Engineering and Education at the Royal Academy of Engineering uh, and and he's going to talk to me about this is the engineering campaign. Dr. Morgan, um, engineering, it's a a wonderful science. How can it inspire young people to um, improve sustainability? Uh, Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yes, it's... uh, I guess one of the problems we have with engineering is that it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's in our lives constantly. It's, um, you know, the, the mobile phone I'm talking to you on, the trainers I'm wearing, the Wi-Fi connectivity, the TVs we've got, the so video games we play. You know, it's absolutely pervasive through our lives. And almost because of that, it becomes invisible. And people kind of take it for granted and forget that engineering underpins almost every aspect of our lives flushing water, electricity, the internet, you know, all of those things. And so this is engineering, and this is Engineering Day, which is today, the 3rd of November for this year. It's really a a day to spotlight um, the role of engineers in society. And of course, you're absolutely right. Engineering is going to play an absolutely key role in meeting our, you know, the great global challenges of the next 50 years. In what sense, what role is engineering going to play in, in, in trying to do that? Okay, so we have uh, COP26 on right now, and you hear the politicians making all the kind of uh, announcements and proclamations around, you know, uh, uh, the the, uh, targets to meet, reducing methane, uh, uh, you know, electric vehicle rollouts, and, and, you know, clean uh, clean energy uh, sources, etc. But it's actually engineers that are going to be, you know, pivotal in delivering that change. So if you take just one example, uh, uh, electric vehicles in the UK, we're going to need new um, giga um, uh, uh, technology, giga battery technology uh, centres, you know, creating huge amounts of uh, batteries for uh, electric vehicles. We're going to have to really rethink the whole of the infrastructure of the UK so that there are millions, literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of car charging points up and down the country. It's engineers are uh, going to be uh, you know, key in creating uh, this, uh, this new infrastructure. And then you have to think about all the electricity generation that's going to be required for that uh, through um, renewable energies, wind turbines, solar, and so on. And we're going to have to get on with that pretty quickly, aren't we? If the Prime Minister is to meet the target of getting um, uh, rid of diesel cars, petrol cars by 2030. We really are. And, uh, and in fact, the, um, the Green Skills Task Force report that came out uh, earlier this year highlighted just some of the challenges. So National Grid, uh, who you know, runs the uh, electricity uh, network for the UK, estimates it's going to need about 260,000 new engineers. That's new engineers on top of the existing 140,000 it already has you know, uh, in the next 10 years. So just to put, give that some context to that, uh, the UK uh, higher education system graduates about 18 to 20,000 engineers um, every year. So National Grid alone will take up the whole of the, uh, the output 
of uh, of engineering for the next 10 years if it had its way and that's then not you know not considering all the other companies that also need engineers and this is engineering this campaign led by the royal academy of engineering is that to embrace to 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 try to attract young people into engineering or are you working with young engineers who are already in the profession dr morgan it's both um so it really is about highlighting the breadth of engineering i think engineering still suffers from a kind of public perception there is to do with engines, you know, it's dirty yeah. oily rags and yeah. or hard hats on building sites. But actually, as I mentioned, you know, engineering is uh, you know is absolutely everywhere. From the um, uh, and, and if you uh, if uh, your listeners uh, look at the thisisengineering.org.uk website uh, and show their children the, the website, you'll see a whole array of young engineers, young professionals working across a vast range of different uh, engineering areas, whether that's in software and tech or um, uh, computer graphics, CGI for Hollywood movies, or um, so, you know, helping people after an earthquake to be, you know, be rescued from uh, uh, collapsed buildings and so on. You know, engineers are really everywhere. And we're also incredibly creative. It is a blend. It's a blend of design and uh, science. And so it's the marrying of of you know arts and humanities and science, and that's what makes it you know a really interesting kind of career to to pursue. And so we're really encouraging young people to rethink what it means uh, to be an engineer and and consider engineering careers. And um, I was going to ask you as well. Um, I understand more and more women are signing up as engineers. It's should we say becoming more and more of an equal opportunities employer? Is that right? Uh, well, yes. I mean, we are we're starting from a very low base. Yes. To be fair, um, the uh, we have you know it's it's been a lamentably poor situation yeah. for a very long time. The representation of women uh, up until a few years ago, it was about twelve percent of the mm. profession uh, were of, of the workforce were female. Now it's gone up to about fourteen and a half percent. At this rate of progress, it's going to take us probably about another. 70 or 80 years to get parity uh, in terms of the sexes and, and genders in, in engineering. So we've got a long way to go. So what we're very keen to do is accelerate that pay, uh, rate of change and really get more young uh, women in. What we have seen is that actually those uh, young women who do go on to study engineering at university, for example, or take on an apprenticeship, um, they do stick with the career. They really like it. They enjoy it. They, they do see value in it, um, both from a personal perspective, you know, really interesting, but also from a society perspective, really helping uh, the country and helping uh, people. So uh, we know that if we can get more young people interested in the first place, then there's a very, there's a strong stickability there. I was going to ask you just finally, actually, if you don't mind me asking, um, I guess also there'll be older people who may think think engineering might be a good career shift for them. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we're seeing uh, increasing numbers of people because of uh, things like industrial digitalization yeah. and uh, you know um, automation of lots of different uh, other kind of occupations in, in other sectors. Actually, there's a need for engineers to support those kind of technologies, and so there there are real opportunities to reskill and upskill in uh, uh, particularly in areas where we are going to need uh, lots more people. So, for example, uh, retrofitting uh, buildings for uh, uh, renewable uh, energy sources, uh, renewable boilers, um, uh, insulation. We've got, um, as I mentioned, kind of 
uh, electric vehicle rollout, but hydrogen technologies, all sorts of different things that, you know, there are literally going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs available for people in engineering in the next 10 to 20 years. Fascinating stuff. That's Dr. Rhys Morgan, who's Director of Engineering and Education at the Royal Academy of Engineering. Thanks for joining us. Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gapwood's here with the latest from the world of sport. Pretty shocking story, Matt, coming out of the cricket world. Yorkshire uh, Cricket Club feeling the heat because one of their leading players, Asim Rafiq, abused by players who say it's just banter, calling him the P-word, P-A-K-I. That's deeply, deeply offensive and racist. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's incredible that they've uh, commissioned this report into this. So Azim Rafiq is a former player who right. who has made this complaint um, to Yorkshire that he was racially abused during his time of playing there. Um, this this came out about a year ago. Yorkshire said, right, well, we'll have an, in, uh, an independent investigation. So they employed, they, they got an independent uh, team to investigate the, you know, historical racist yeah. um, uh, allegations that, that Rafiq was making. They then subsequently came, d- delivered their report, whether well, the report was delivered to them, should I say, because it was an independent report, within which it said, you know, there's there's signs here of, of, of yeah, his- historical abuse uh, uh, in terms of racist abuse, um, and uh, all those words that you, you yeah, said yeah. have been used, and, and back and forth, and but they said, well... We're not going to find anyone guilty because you know this all comes under the uh, under the jurisdiction of just banter. So, banter. so obviously he is up in arms, uh, fuming about this. Um, it has now been handed over. So Yorkshire have handed the report over uh, to the ECB. Now there's names in this report that haven't come out yet. Right. There's obviously fingers pointed at people mm. who've used this terminology that's left Azim Rafiq, as he says at certain points, crying mm. uh, during his time uh, at Yorkshire. It's now with the ECB. The ECB were quick to come out last night and apologise because um, they said that we apologise for the amount of time it's taken uh, for this case to be uh, looked at and resolved mm. properly. Uh, you know, they could have been more on the front foot already. Yorkshire yep. have had this report for ages. Yorkshire took a, an eternity to hand it over to the ECB. Um claiming legal problems in terms of handing it over. Um, and Sajid Javid got involved yesterday well, saying, that, yeah. saying that it was disgraceful that you know that this word was used and it's been dismissed as banter. Um, so the England and Wales Cricket Board are now looking into it. They now have to go through it and, and uh, the ball's in their court and they have to decide what to do with it. And uh, we, the, the players, the people named in the report, are they serving players? Yeah, some are. Mm. Yeah. Well, they should be named and shamed. Yeah, well, absolutely. Some are, and yeah. uh, and I you know we haven't. The, the Yorkshire have refused to release the report, right. so we don't know at the moment. The, the or, or uh, should I say, it's not public knowledge. And they're a major county yeah. team. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, yeah, they're yeah, yeah, blue chip. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, the you know one of the biggest, obviously, yeah. you know, huge cricket playing uh, county. And um, uh, I mean, Sanjay Javid is uh, the health secretary. He's a of Pakistani origin, he's presumably been called that word himself over the years and thinks it's offensive, and so it is. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't think it's offensive? Yeah. I don't see any way you can dress that up as banter, you know, no matter no, how well horrible. you know someone. Horrible. No matter what... And he, well, he clearly didn't think it was banter, as seen Rafiq. He was deeply offended by it. Exactly, and he was left in tears on occasion. So um, so the fact that he didn't think it was banter, I mean, and as I say, I don't think even if somebody yeah. even if somebody laughs it off, you know, if yeah. someone else were to hear, overhear it, yeah. uh, or whatever, you know, it just can't, you can never dress that up as just banter, which is astonishing that Yorkshire um, think that that's... That, that that it can be, the and report, that no one. The report will leak, won't it? Well, the the 
You would think so. I hope so. You would think so. Yeah. Uh, the, there are suggestions it's already been seen in certain right. areas. Okay. So, you know, and the ECB have got to act on it. The ECB can't cover it up. Mm. It, the, you know, they've been handed a hot potato. Of course they have. Yeah. But, you know, that's their job. That's their role. They're the governing body. And are there any Yorkshire players, forgive my ignorance, because you know what I know about cricket, you could write on the back of a shrunken postage stamp. Or are there any England players or uh, test players Test match players who play for, uh, for yeah, this team for Yorkshire. Yeah. Well, they should be speaking it, it, out, shouldn't they? As a, as a duty, as role models. Yeah, I mean, some of the England players who have played for Yorkshire down the years would have maybe not been around the dressing room as much right. because they've been on England duty yeah, a lot, yeah. and therefore they wouldn't play for the county as much. But there's clearly lots of people who know what's going on. There would have been lots of people there, mm. lots of people witnessing this stuff, um, and the fact that it's all sort of been hush hush so far, uh, and and Azim Rafiq is basically fighting this battle on his own it would seem mm. uh with very few people standing up for him um would yeah it is is appalling really Jeez. and the ecb need to release this report they, they need to act on it and you know the fact that it, it's bizarre because it's almost been decided yorkshire the, the independent panel have found that there was that these things happened and they apologize for them to then dismiss it as banter, banter. you know is is Unbelievable. I imagine the people who dismissed it as banter on that panel are not pa people of pa Pakistani yeah. origin. I'm sure you're I imagine. Right. Yeah. I imagine they're all white, middle-class, grey men. Um, football, it's that bloke Ronaldo. Saved the, the Manchester United manager again, but not for much longer, Matt. Well, you know, yet again, this sort of um, the roller coaster ride that is watching Manchester United, mm. you know, from the high of beating uh, Tottenham at the weekend, which followed the low of, yeah. of being hammered by Liverpool. Yeah. Last night, they were heading for another low uh, as they looked like they were going to lose to Atalanta, which would have put their uh, chances of progressing out of the group stage of the Champions League in real danger. Right. And of course, that man, as you say, popped up again right at the death, uh, Ronaldo, with another spectacular goal uh, to go with the goal he'd scored earlier in the game to rescue a 2-2 draw right. um, in Atalanta which leaves United in a decent enough position okay. going into their final two group games but without that goal and without all his other goals that he scored in the mm. group stage um, they would be in real trouble but uh, as I said to you before and I, I mean I've, we haven't got time to talk about it now but um, Tottenham have got rid of their manager and hired this bloke Conte yeah. uh, if Manchester United got rid of the Hobbit they could have had him they could so have now they'll have they'll have there won't be such good quality alternatives around, presumably. Yeah, well, that's because right. Because yeah. we know this boat's going to be sacked. Well, it's the yeah. This is the thing. I mean, how long they can keep playing like this and keep mm. with these highs and these lows? And they they were appalling last night. Were they? they were they were really bad for mm. for sixty seventy minutes. They mm. were awful. Um, they picked up a couple of injuries which won't help them going forward. In particular, the central defender Varane who went off. But yeah, they were awful. And so you're right. You know, this is we're going to keep coming back to this until Oli gets the sack because they keep playing badly. Mm. They might rescue it when they play. I mean, let's face it. Tottenham, who they beat last weekend, were obviously on their knees. Mm. You know, they wanted that manager out. The players yeah. are down tools. Yeah. They were happy to play badly, get Nuno the boot. I probably could have scored a goal against you them. possibly could have done. Get Nuno the boot and then we might can Might need move. a bit of help. Yeah, and then, uh, well, you might need a little bit of help, yeah, like standing on the line with the ball passed yeah. to you. But there we go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, this this Ollie saga, the Ollie roller coaster mm. ride is going to continue until he's given the boot. And you're right, they won't be able to turn to Conte now. Certainly right. That's Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood with all the latest news. And as uh, he's saying about the Yorkshire cricket, that one will run and run. Indeed. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. 
So mortgage brokers are urging homeowners to look at their loan terms to see if they can avoid potentially expensive rate rises that have been forecast for 2022-2023. So how best to avoid a rise of perhaps hundreds of pounds in your repayments ahead of the Bank of England's potential base rate rise? I'm joined by Money Mail reporter Fiona Parker. Fiona, um, hi there. It seems pretty obvious. We all seem to now accept that at some point, probably quite soon, interest rates are going to creep up again. Hello, Andrew. And you are right. Unfortunately, it's looking a bit inevitable and we could receive an announcement tomorrow, which will be the first base rate hike in about three years now. Um, Of course, the base rate is really a way of potentially trying to keep a lid on prices. Um, We heard Chancellor Rishi Sunak say last week in his budget speech that, of course, inflation could go up over 4%. Um, And at that point, obviously, everything will start to seem more expensive. Now, by increasing the base rate, you can obviously encourage people to save more, borrow less, and spending and inflation can go down as a result of that. So it's a way the Bank of England can kind of keep a check on prices. So uh, potentially at the moment, there are deals out there, Fiona. are, Are you recommending people perhaps sign up to a two or three year deal and get the rate fixed? Because base rates may go up tomorrow. They may go up again, of course, in a couple of months time. Well, yes, of course. I mean, it's actually not really about the two and three year deals that a lot of people are really looking for. It's actually all about the five year deals at this point. Because the problem is the worst case scenario, we we could see the base rate get as high as 3.5% at the end of 2023. Now, if that's the case, obviously, that could add hundreds onto the annual mortgage bill if you're on a base rate tracker. So a lot of brokers are seeing more interest in these five-year deals, which could kind of keep you locked in to a reasonably cheap rate for longer and past that point. Right. Uh, and um, of course, I'm just looking here, those with a £200,000 mortgage on a 0.9% rate today would see their, if, if, if the base rates do go up a little, their payments will go up £50 a month or £600 a year. People with larger mortgages, it's going to be obviously a bigger increase. But there are good deals out there, Fiona. There are good deals. And I think um, certainly as of yesterday, there was still a 0.99% two-year fix and there was even a 0.99% five-year fix with Ulster Bank. Um, Now, what I would say is from tomorrow, you could see rates really soar up if there is an interest rise, um, a base rate rise. Um, So really, if you've got a time you know a bit of time today and your deals close to coming up to an end i'd certainly look around um what i would say of course is if you're on a deal that isn't due to end for several months or several years do be aware that you probably would have to pay an early repayment charge um, which right. could be up to seven percent of your overall loan so that Ooh, really that's a for lot most homeowners it will probably wipe out any savings you could have yes. so if you're in that situation it's probably better to stick but no palm in asking around. No, exactly. And it's always, but that's another reason why, Finn, you've got to check the small print. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. Some money mail. Always check that small print. Always good advice. That's Fiona Parker, Money Mail reporter, talking about the likelihood of interest rates going up, which means your mortgage is going to go up. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night.